Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. So one of the first things I ever learned about you was that you were an artist. And I don't even remember. I think somebody else told me that. I think oh, really? that maybe Sensei or maybe April, somebody, somebody. It was probably April. One of the first people that I, that I was talking. Yeah, it probably was April because she was. She's very supportive of my art. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's very supportive of everyone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, this was way back. It was pretty early on in my arrival at the Sangha. Uh, and I, and I think the, the reason that I was being introduced to you was the, was the card sort for the website design that we're working on but I remember being told that you were an artist and and being like there are so many artists here there are you know like that was the first thing I learned about sensei too and then you know talked to him and oh he's a musician too and you know then I met Andrew and Andrew's a musician and you know I'm a musician and uh that was really encouraging to me and then I you know there's there's and, and Shinjin Sensei is a musician. Like there's, 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 there's art and music all the way to the proverbial top around here. And so, and then, you know, I met you and we worked on a thing together and then we made this, this show. We've done all this, this very kind of technical nuts and bolts stuff. And then, if, then it came, then time came to make the cover for the show. And you were like, how about this? And I, and showed me this thing and this beautiful drawing that was exactly what we discussed. And I was like, man, I mean, I'd seen, I'd seen your drawing before, but the, the fact that you could translate and not just render the thing so beautifully, but like, so exactly render the, the top, like the description of the, of the cover that we discussed was amazing to me. And the fact that the subject of that image is like, a Zen household with this, with the chaos of everyday life and the Zen in the midst of it, you know, that's not, that's something that you have to be way deep inside of in order to, to, to know how to depict, you know what I mean? Like there are yeah. so many bad depictions of meditation out there or Zen. There's such stupid aesthetics developed around the word Zen and only someone who, really knows zen from you know the bottom of their heart can do the kind of work that you did to make that image convey all the stuff that we talk about on this show and i know that that's a thing that's interesting to you this connection between zen and art or zen and creativity and i wonder if you could tell me about your process of drawing that image maybe as a way into sort of how those two things are connected Okay, yeah. So that was the first maybe religious artwork I've made since I was a kid. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting start. So first of all, this cover is religious artwork. I I think it I think it can fall into that category. I and would I've say thought so. about making religious artwork before. Um, you know, I and and I I guess, you know, I've seen Sensei's artwork and it's it's very zen. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got these like very fluid uh, watercolor brushstrokes 
that you wonder how much control he actually has over, but that's sort of the the beauty of it mm -hmm. is, you know, in Zen we kind of let things uh be as they are in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um and I never really feel like my artwork is like that. I it takes a lot of planning and preparation ahead of time and it's it I feel like I have to like try to take control of mm everything like that so i i've been intimidated by tr wanting to m express how i feel about zen and an artwork because i'm like my artwork is not very zen hmm. in that in the way that i just described i'm sure you could argue in other ways it is but <laughs> so this is the first time i was like all right i'm gonna make something zen i think it i think it, it turned out how i wanted it to i didn't want to change my art style to something else to make it fit into the zen category you see zen artwork that's just like um it's a lot of watercolor because mm -hmm. you know a lot of the zen artwork comes from china or japan or something like that and they do the calligraphy paintings and stuff and that's generally what you see flowers and uh cranes and stuff like that <laughs> um bamboo so i i don't know for some reason at first i was like you can't make zen artwork unless it's like that which is totally untrue because mm. anything that's artwork if you do with the mindset of zen in mind is zen artwork mm. and it doesn't you know that the, the subject matter shouldn't really make a difference should be kind of how it makes you feel while you're making it and how maybe even how others feel while they view it to mm -hmm. a certain degree. So yeah, that that cover was was definitely how I feel about Zen a lot of times because mm -hmm. uh, it does kind of combine this like sort of struggle with like I you know I have so many things that it's hard to to do it at the moment and then combined with sort of like the but when you get to do it, you do feel like it does It does help in a lot of ways. It does kind of put you at peace. Hmm. One thing, I mean, I don't know. Have you, do you feel like you've ever made any Zen artwork? I guess like in quotation marks, a Zen artwork. Yeah, I think so. I think that I've made a lot of Zen music and done a lot of Zen writing, a lot of Zen writing. I actually yeah. have, uh, I set out this year to write a thousand haiku poems. Well, there you go. That's that's a very like structural like piece of Zen Zen artwork. Why yeah. why the haiku? Well, uh, I'm a writer by sort of by nature. Like it's 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 a it's a com almost I don't want to say compulsive because that kind of gives it baggage, but it's like something that I've always done to process reality and. Mm -hmm. While it, it it has this conflicting value in my life because it does help me process things and get them out of my head and away so that I can return to, you know, non-thinking as a way of being. But it also caught the, the impulse to write specifically as a creative process where I'm seeking to have the written object done like there as a thing in the world, that desire compels more thinking, you know? So like wanting to write makes me th think and that sort of works against the, right. the, the practice in certain ways. So there's always been these conflicting impulses and these conf and, and, and my whole life, my whole career too, but but even outside of working, 
the 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 struggle has always been to find a format or like a a, a kind of writing that serves the Zen process, at least as an outlet. If I have to do non-Zen writing all day, and at and ideally as the only kind of writing that I that I have to do, so that so that I can just be in practice mode all the time. And so the haiku thing came up because I was in a period of time where I was trying to. Oh, I, I, it had been a while since I left social media. I'm not sure if that's something we've talked about. I deleted my accounts and like stopped using social media for a couple of years, and this was you know, only a year of the, you know, the pandemic was going on and I was lonely and isolated and I was, I started to feel the craving coming back mm-hmm. in a way that didn't feel good at the time. Uh, I didn't know that I would later be able to figure out a way to go back into social media in a way that felt good, but it was staring me in the face. At, like if I wrote a haiku every time I was thinking about going on the internet, it would sort of sublimate the urge to post something for feedback and I would just have a private Zen moment of incalculable value that I wrote and I could create a sort of similar goal to the kinds of goals that people have on social media of like attention and validation and whatever by saying, just by saying I could write a thousand of those, like the making the number go up would be the idea. And the more, and, and, and by the time I, by the time you write a thousand of anything, you're good at it, you know? So I started that and I, and for a while I was really clipping along. I was really going fast. It, it tailed off. I mean, you know, it's probably no surprise given the way that I was thinking about it. Once I started participating on Twitter and being more of like a, like having more conversation as Zen practice, short form written conversation, the, the, all that urge to write short little pithy Zen things went into that or not all, but a lot. Uh, and so it slowed down. My last one was written on March 26th. So it was, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, it's not like I stopped at some point. It's just that they're, they're, uh, way fewer, I was writing like 10 a day at one point and yeah. I'm writing a couple of months three or four or five a month, but I'm at 387 and I still plan to write a thousand of them. And some of them are really wonderful. I have, I have ways of randomly surfacing them. So like I can just push a button and it'll pull up a random one Uh, or I can enter the number and see what, what, which one has that number. And, you know, it's really cool to rediscover these. Well, what, what about that format? I mean, obviously it's something that has been used in Zen. Mm-hmm. before and there are uh, like i was talking about earlier there are specific art forms that have been used in zen yeah and what makes you feel like what what do you think about the haiku is conducive to zen thought i, I think that there's well there's a, there are formal rules to it right and so they sort of resemble the formal practice that we do. And a lot of people say the rules, like throw the rules out. Like once you learn to write haiku, you don't have to follow the rules anymore, which is the same thing a lot of people say about Zen. But, you know, we have this funny push-pull relationship with the formal side of it. And, 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 you know, those of us who end up in Soto Zen Sanghas typically tend to have uh, somewhat of an affinity for a formal practice as, as like a way of taking the thinking, the wondering out of it and just doing the form as a way of not thinking about how to do it. So that's how the syllable rules work for me, the five, seven, five 
three line rules, which of course were created for Japanese. And so people tend to take liberties in English when they're translating Japanese, like they don't want to rigidly translate a Japanese haiku into five, seven, five syllables in English. If that's not the best way to translate the Japanese, even if the Japanese has the right number of syllables. Right. So a lot of the reading of classic haiku, like, like that doesn't always fall into that perfect five, seven, five rhythm, but I'm a musician and I speak English and I think English is a poetic, beautiful language. Uh, and so I decided to impose that constraint, the 575, like this will be the form. Like if I write it, if I'm writing one of these, it has to be in that form. But then the other thing about haiku is that they have to have a seasonal reference in them, some sort of natural to. observation. I mean, obviously these rules are not like set in stone. There's no haiku police, but like the, the, the classic haiku collections are like seasonally organized. Like there's, they're, 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 the idea is for there to be one image or one central image and for it to have to sort of connote the season in which you're writing. So there's this, you know, I don't, I don't want to abuse the term present moment, which is a, which Zen is actually somewhat more complicated uh, in, in terms of what 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 the present moment means than I think like sort of class like, you know, secular mindfulness people tend to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. You know, there should be it, the uh, haiku should generally be like this natural observation of the way things are right now, using the seasonal image. You know, typically a nature image, but but like nature means a lot of things. But like that image can sort of represent a slice of time that has a change process happening in it. Right. Okay. I see what you're saying. It. it if you you mention a sunrise and it's like there's a frozen image of a sunrise in your mind, but also like sunrise is this, obviously this part of this continuum. And so, you know, uh, of, you know, night to day and the same way it works with the seasons, like you're writing about flowers blooming, like, of course, the implication of observing a flower blooming in this very stark, you know, few words that a haiku represents, the implication is like that flower is blooming now and it was a bud yesterday and it's going to be withered and dead. You know, like there's, mm -hmm. there's impermanence built into this way of, obser of observing. So there's no, there's, there's nothing could be more Zen as far as I'm concerned as a writer. And the, the thing that I've been, that's been really interesting about the process of writing them that I wasn't aware of until I just started this project of writing so many of them is that the kinds of moments where they would come to me, it wasn't like, I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be sitting down. Like, I'm going to write a poem now. What's it going to be about? Hmm. Look around the room. Like, oh, there's a lamp. Let's write a poem about a lamp. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be like that. But the the moments where they would come over me would be those kinds of, it's funny, I'm reaching for like a Zen traditional image for what it is. But you know what I mean? These moments of, of absolute clarity and un uh, non-conceptual like relation to the world. I would, I would, yeah. I would have a, you know, <laughs> a moment of Zen, if you will, the first thoughts that would come back after a moment of no, of non thinking would start to crystallize in this five, seven, five form instead, instead of just coming right back in with the train of thought that, that, you know, ordinary mind tends to use the form and the shortness of the form, these short few syllables would enable me to just think it, think it through on purpose. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't this chaotic 
like onrush of thought. It was like I was in charge of thinking and I was thinking on purpose. And that, and you know, talking about writing and making art as a Zen practice, that's one thing. Thinking as a Zen practice is quite a subtle art. <laughs> and and, and the, that, that's why I love this, these short form haiku poems is that it, it, it enables you to think in a Zen way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, my practice with uh, Zen as an, an art form has been mainly something that I did as a kid that I that I that I find more difficult to do now. Mm. And it is to to make art for the sake of art mm-hmm. because I want to or because I have the drive to do that and not for any other reason. And I think this became a problem when I started to sell my artwork. Mm. And then every piece of art wasn't done well eventually i mean it wasn't always like that but eventually it became that the artwork was uh for a purpose was to get better at the artwork was to kind of progress and get to a point where you know i made more money with it or whatever um and i um i drew comic books too and it was it became like sort of a struggle where i didn't feel the same thing I had felt when I was like a child and how I just liked doing it. And it, it brought me like a lot of joy. And I actually did more artwork then, Mm. um, than I do now because it was just so like, I feel like doing it. So I'm going to do it. And so that's, that's been my practice. Just like now that like, I I sort of have a, a different career and it's not like it's, it's very creative, but it's not like I'm drawing and making pictures for people. Um, mm. <laughs> that way I can, I can, I, my goal is to sort of return to, to artwork whenever I want to and whenever I feel, feel like it and do it just for the sake of doing it and no other reason. Mm. There's something I wanted to talk about in this episode that I, I thought, thought a little bit about was that like during, when you're doing artwork, a lot of times you get into a flow state Mm -hmm. and i mean i think that that can be like sort of a meditative practice in itself but it doesn't feel like zen to me Mm -hmm. and i i'm curious what your opinion on that is but when i do it i i definitely have a very clear mind like i don't think about the the choices i'm making i like well so i'm an oil painter by the way i do digital Mm -hmm. and oil paint but when i'm you know, um, in this flow state, and I'm mixing colors, and I don't think about what the actual combinations of the colors will happen. I just do it intuitively mm-hmm. and create the strokes and everything intuitively without thinking about anything. But the reason I don't feel like it feels like Zen to me, and I'm not saying it's not a good thing, I'm not making a judgment on it at all, yeah. but I'm not really here anymore when that happens Mm -hmm. i don't i'm not aware of anything that's going on besides me and the artwork or the artwork not me Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i'll I'll get hungry i'll i'll just not eat lunch or something like that because Uh i will not i will not be in i will not be in the awareness of the now the the you know the place that you're you're trying to become more aware of what's going on 
right now when you're meditating and when I'm in the flow, I'm the exact opposite of that. Like I I'm always know when I'm hungry, except mm-hmm. for when I'm in the flow. Mm-hmm. And I always know if I've got paint all over everything, except for when I'm in the flow. Mm. <laughs> that you're making a very subtle distinction that I think is would confuse most people, most artists, certainly. Like and and maybe a lot of Zen practitioners too, which is that I feel like, I mean, when you first started talking about how you aren't there anymore uh, and it's just the, the, the art is just happening, the, I was very much in that, at that point, like what could be more Zen than that? Yeah. But, but then you, you're, you're so right, I think, to bring in that kind of just everyday wisdom of the body. And, and if that goes away, how how Zen could it possibly be? I mean, it makes me think of really, really deep states of meditation that we, I mean, what, what it reminds me of is non Zen forms of Buddhist meditation. That's that mm-hmm. seem to be mm-hmm. about absorption. That's as deep as possible so that you drop. I mean, we talk about drop off body and mind in Zen too, but it's, it's somehow not the same as the, as the idea of, of like, you know, there's there's formal descriptions of it, like the jhanas, the the which is the, the the word jhana was the word that the Chinese transliteration that became the word chan that became the word zen was. It was it was it was a, it was the word jhana, which is which is these progressively deep states of absorption and like disappearing on the cushion, and, and we do talk like that, but I I, I guess. We don't, we would never say like starve your body, like let your body go hungry. And like the mm-hmm. Buddha wouldn't say that either. But the, 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 it's hard to figure out where that line is because there's, there is so much art in Zen that seems to be all about that kind of total dissolution of the subject and like just the, have like the body making the art is just all that's there. So what do you think the difference is? Like, I, I see why you're saying that it isn't Zen to like forget to eat, <laughs> but, but like, well, what, what would the Zen kind of absorption in art be like then? I think, th- I think the thinking part, the, the lack of thinking is, is probably right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also don't, I think that you would still need to be aware of the other things that are going on somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you do that without thinking. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but if you're, if you're not aware of what's happening in the present moment, it's not really like Soto Zen meditation. Mm-hmm. Like I do think it's a type of meditation you could yeah. do. And I think there's definitely benefit to it. Uh, I think I've even heard of some studies that like people who can get into the flow in their workplace are like happier, Uh right? And I I think this is, you know, probably for a lot of reasons, like, okay, well, like now the day's going to go by faster and uh, (laughs) I can, you know, end up doing all the things that I want to do after that or something. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe just enjoy doing that more. But I don't always enjoy that. Because uh, I can get in the flow at work too, mm-hmm. and then also forget to eat. 
Uh And there's also like this irritability that comes with it because I get so hyper focused on what I'm doing Mm. that I don't want to do anything else. I don't Uh want to listen to what's going on if someone needs something. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, God forbid someone interrupts you when you're in that state. Yeah, Uh I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with what I need. Like if I accidentally make a mess in that state, like that's just so frustrating. So I feel like my frustration is actually higher Mm -hmm. when I'm in a flow straight state uh, if something were to interrupt it, which I don't think I don't feel that way if I was sitting in Soto Zen. Uh, I mean, occasionally maybe, but not usually. I usually I know that that's part of the practice. Mm -hmm. I I recognize that as such. You're going to have interruptions. You're going to you know, get distracted and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's part of the practice. Getting, like, learning to deal with interruptions isn't part of the flow practice. Mm. I think you're really getting to it. And and I I wonder whether a Zen, a person, I mean, you know, I don't want to use the word master. I'm trying to avoid the use of the word ma- avoiding use of the word master. But the 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 idea of so, of a very highly realized Zen practitioner, say someone who's been doing it their whole life and and who has been also practicing some art just as long, whether it's painting or whatever. The the I, there's I can imagine coming in and out of that flow state effortlessly as a Zen form of realization that like to be interrupted and to, to accept the interruption without hesitation and then go back to the painting and go right back into it. Like that, that is the part that seems like it would require Zen power to me. That would require. Yeah, I agree with you because it feels like when I'm in a flow state, I'm so deep in there that I, I, I'm not really like connecting with my, myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to have that sort of, power and control over that state because it's so compelling yeah yeah well and that right you just used a word that made it really sound like buddhism like like nuts and bolts buddhism like something compelling a compelling sense experience like something so compelling that you're drawn all the way into it and forget to eat like that's samsara right there you know like it's powerful samsara it's productive creative samsara but but to be to be compelled onward by just like the the object itself definitely doesn't sound like sort of effortless going with what happens. It sounds like, it sounds like drive. It sounds like, uh, like something, something that driven by desire. Yes. That's exactly what it feels like. So, and, and that's, that's so much a part of making art desire. And like, that's, it's, it's not, but you know, this is not like, it would not be Zen to deny desire and refuse it either mm-hmm. it's 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 all about just being able to to handle what arises and so if your desire is frustrated by some interruption like that has to be the practice too and that's that's got to be the goal the the uh something came to mind uh to describe this difference when i was thinking about longtime practitioners and how they might handle it uh, from college we used i read a lot of the sort of the science on meditation in as part of my college studies and in in you know interdisciplinary like benefits of meditation and i one particular case stuck with me i don't remember the details just sort of the result that they found that they studied new meditators and long like monks like monastics long time monastics in a in a in a study where they 
made noise in the meditation hall, like some sort of annoying noise uh, <laughs> at a regular ba- on a regular basis. And uh, it wasn't, it, the, I mean, the key about the noise was that it was happening over and over again, but it wasn't happening at like a predictable rhythm at like something yeah, that you could yeah, zone out into. <laughs> uh, so the thing that happened was, that, and they, they had some sort of activation measurement, like some sort of like generalized like uh, arousal that they were measuring. And the novice meditators had a huge spike the first time the noise happened, like 100% aroused. And then the next spike was like half as big. And then the next one was half as big as that. And by the by the end, they weren't spiking at all. Like the noise was they, they had just sort of accepted the noise as like uh, this, this is or, or tuned it out or whatever. Um, and, you know, you read that one first and you're like, oh, that must be what meditation does. Like it makes you not get freaked out by the noise anymore. But then they showed the longtime monastics and it was an, a, a medium sized spike the first time. And it was exactly the same every time they, they, they had the exact same noticing hmm. of what happened every time it happened and didn't get, and they weren't more freaked out by it at the beginning, nor were they no longer freaked out by it at the end. They noticed it every time it happened. And I, and That's I remember finding that result really counterintuitive to sort of my very super beginner level understanding of meditation. I thought that yeah. the idea was if I get really good at meditation, nothing will bother me anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, but like but that, 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 that wasn't the finding <laughs> that the finding was everything that happened. You'll notice everything that happens. And if it's something annoying happening, the, the normal amount of annoyance may take place, but it will then go away and you won't dissociate from it. And, and I think there's, you can't tell a whole lot about somebody's, subjective experience from a just sort of arousal chart of spiking lines like that but it really does say a lot i think about the difference and it sounds like what we're describing here it's like if somebody interrupted you while you were painting no matter who you were that would be a bummer for a second (laughs) but like if you if you could be interrupted and then turn to that person and be present with that person and handle whatever it is and then go right back to painting that would be the zen way to be a master painter i mean i could do that except for here's the thing there's there's more there's a little bit more to that from Uh my experience because i can like a lot of times especially if i'm so excited that i just want to like show people uh and then i'll just be like how do you think this looks what what do you think of it And I'll just be like such an in such an excited, agitated state and like and I am looking for like feedback and stuff. So honestly, um but I probably at that moment will be more like sensitive to feedback than I would be if like later on I step back and someone says something about it or whatever. Um so it's almost like being able to control that excitement. And it seems weird that you would want to be able to control excitement because it's uh-huh. like, it seems like people want to be excited about things. They want to, you know, that's what drives them to, mm-hmm. to, to complete some, to complete things. But like being excited, but not letting it take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the idea. It's like the excitement arises, right? It's, it's the natural response of the body to seeing something beautiful happen, right? And that 
is what making art should be like. And the, the key is, is to, is to, is to ride it without letting it ride you. Like the, the, I, the, the, the example, I haven't talked about music at all, but the, the, the only thing that feels really Zen about music is playing with other people to me. Um, well, playing, playing, playing in real time, you know, mm-hmm. not as opposed to writing, playing by myself definitely can feel that way. But in my experience, the more people I'm playing with, the more absorption into what's happening there is. But there is there is such a a fine line or like a wave to ride of hearing it and feeling it and loving it and then going is this it? Like, am I doing it? Like, like, does this, is this good? Is this cool? Am I playing? Is, yeah. it, should, should I do something else here? Like that? It's exactly like Zazen, I guess. But the excitement that can arise when a bunch of people are just jamming out together can so quickly turn into like, I got to do something so cool right now so that everybody loves it. And that, you know, that ruins everything. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.